We have been taking trips from Nicholasville, Kentucky to Williamsburg, Virginia since 1992. That's because my mother and father-in-law still live in Williamsburg, Virginia. Now, sometimes that drive only takes nine and a half hours, and that's if you only make one stop and if you look at the speed limit as a, um, as a suggestion. But that nine and a half hour drive can become a 15 or 16 hour drive. If you've got a toddler whose portable DVD player has broken and who's inconsolable because there's nothing to look at but trees and it's so boring and you're stopping every single exit to see if that particular Walmart has a portable DVD player that you can buy. I'm just, it's a hypothetical situation. One particular summer, we were making this trip, and John and Jillian were little at the time, and we hit a patch of road in West Virginia where it had been throttled down to one lane, and it was bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic going five miles an hour, stopping, five miles an hour, stopping. And these are the days uh, when I used paper maps, and so I had a... I had a paper triptych from the AAA Motor Club, and Jenny was helping me navigate, and I, I noticed that there was this road. We could get off, and it would take us around, and we would loop back on around the city where I thought the problem was. And so I, I got off on this windy road, and 20 minutes into it, Jenny grabbed my, my right arm, and she says, Max, we need to get back on the interstate, or I'm going to be sick. So... I found a place to turn around and I, I got back onto the uh, on-ramp and when I hit the end of the on-ramp, I was faced with standstill bumper-to-bumper traffic and I had my left turn signal on, left turn signal on and I was waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and finally, this person in a truck looks at me points at me and motions for me to merge in front of him. Somebody let me in. Kindness. Kindness. Over the past several weeks, the Ballards have gotten a lot of meals that have come in and 9 by 13 pan dish pans and casserole dishes and all kinds of things. And I'm sure they've had some moments where one has said to the other, I, th I think this is a chicken dish. Do you think this is chicken? I don't know. And so every single casserole dish, every single evening is, is an act of kindness. Look, I've been on the receiving end of kindness many, many times. And I can tell you that kindness is not a feeling. It isn't a feeling, it isn't emotion, it isn't something that you just experience on the inside with your heart, ooh, thump, thump, ooh, thump, thump, no. You know how some people talk about love where they'll say, oh, I feel so in love, or, you know, I just, I just don't feel in love anymore. And they talk about it as though it's this feeling. Kindness is not that. No, kindness is an action. So this month at Generations, our virtue focus has been kindness. And, and we define kindness for our kids as showing others they're valuable by how you treat them. Showing others they're valuable by, 
by how you treat them, an action. Now, the Jessamine County School District has had an emphasis on guess what this month? Kindness. The Jessamine County Health Department has had an emphasis on guess what? Kindness. The Jessamine County Chamber of Commerce had an entire week of kindness. Why? Why would so many different groups feel a need to emphasize kindness? It's because it's in such short supply. And it's because it is so, so needed. Let's say that you were to come in to Generations on a Sunday morning outside of our pandemic world. So when normal life was going on, let's say you were to come in and you were coming in early to volunteer for something, to serve in an area. And I'm in the lobby and I'm, I've just finished one of two Krispy Kreme donuts that I've brought with me that particular morning. And I'm finishing the first donut off and you come in and you say to me, man, I, I had to rush here. I, I was running late. I am just starving. Is there anything here at church I could eat? I'm just, oh man, I'm so hungry. And I were to look at you and as I'm biting into the second donut, I were to say to you, mm, man, that, that's rough. You skipped breakfast? Wow, that's hard. Would I be showing you kindness? No, no. Look, kindness is listed as a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. And kindness is, specific kindness is an action. So let me just ask, what does kindness look like? Do we have to be kind to everyone? Are some folks not worthy of kindness? Can, can we simply write some people off or ignore them or mistreat them? In a, in a sense, do they just have it coming? Jesus answers these questions in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by the other side. Then 
a despised Samaritan came along and, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling the man, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which one of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. So this whole interchange is prompted by a man, a religious expert, asking Jesus a question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to share in the resurrection of the righteous? What does the law say? So Jesus, uh, Jesus uh, asks him, how do you read it? And so the man responds with the Shema. The man uh, responds with the thing that every Jew would say and pray every single day. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor. And Jesus says, do this and you will live. Um, um, hey, Jesus. Jesus, what's the scope of the neighbor here? Like, is everyone a neighbor? Is everyone a neighbor? See, in, in the book of Sirach, a holy book during Jesus' day for some Jews, there's a specific command in Sirach chapter 12. Do not help a sinner. Now, the, the religious expert knows that Jesus is associating with tax collectors and <gasps> sinners. And the man knows you don't help sinners. You don't associate them with them. You, they don't deserve it. So the expert in the religious law is operating from a perspective that some people are neighbors and some people are not. Let me say that again. Some people are neighbors and some people are not. You know, the way we Americans kind of operate today. Well, Jesus tells this story, right? What we call the, the parable or the story of the Good Samaritan. This 17-mile road from Jerusalem to Jericho was, was a known treacherous route. You don't take this trip alone. You don't take this trip at night because you run the risk of getting beaten, stripped, robbed, and left for dead. Exactly what happens to this poor guy. Three different people pass him by. Three different people pass by. A priest, a Levite, or as our translation says, a temple assistant, and a Samaritan. The priest comes and goes. The, the Levite, the Levite is exactly the kind of person that you would expect to help if you were hearing Jesus tell this story. You, as Jesus is telling this story, as soon as he says a temple assistant, you would think to yourself, ah, help has arrived. Help's here. Ah. But the temple assistant does nothing. 
It's the Samaritan. Now, the Samaritan is exactly the kind of person you would not expect to help if you were hearing this story in Jesus' day. Samaritans only help themselves. So anyone hearing this story would think as soon as Jesus said a Samaritan, right, came along, they would think, oh, well, no help here. This guy's out of luck. But which one of the three was a neighbor? It wasn't the person who believed the right things. It wasn't the person who had the right heritage. It was the person who showed kindness. The expert in the religious law can't even bring himself to say Samaritan. When Jesus is done telling the story and asks which one was a neighbor, the man says the one who showed mercy. And Jesus says, go and do the same. Doing it, living it out, resonated with Jesus. A couple of chapters earlier in Luke chapter 8, Jesus tells the crowd that his family, his real family, are the folks who hear and do what God says. One thing I've sometimes wondered about this story is if in Jesus' mind, all three people felt pity on the inside. So I wonder if, as Jesus told this story, and one thing I want to ask him in the resurrected life is, hey, Jesus, when you told this story as you were telling it, did you think to yourself, you know what? The priest walked by and thought to himself on the inside, oh, man, that's terrible. That poor guy, somebody ought to do something. I mean, Jesus, did you think in your mind as you were telling this story that the, that the temple assistant, as he came along in the road and saw the guy lying there, felt on the inside, oh, man, that's terrible. That's, that is rough. Oh, somebody ought to do something. That's terrible. Like, I just wonder. Go and do the same. Let me ask a simple question. Who in your life right now is bleeding by the side of the road. Who in your life right now is bleeding by the side of the road? Now, Generations Community Church, I'm going to tell you something. This last year, this last year, I have had so many one-on-ones with people in the church lobby, in the church sanctuary, on the trails of Camp Nelson, on a trail somewhere, out in a park. I have been with so many people, one-on-one, -on -one, who are bleeding by the side of the road. There are a lot of people out there right now bleeding by the side of the road. And look, if I'm honest, I would tell you I'm 52 years old this year. This last year has been the hardest year of my life. It trumps every other hard thing I've ever experienced. This year takes the cake. Ding! And the winner is 2020 that is bleeding into 2021. Ding, 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 ding. Who in your life right now is bleeding by the side of the road? Let me remind you of how you and I take this home. First of all, it is not enough to feel it in your heart. Kindness is only kindness if you do something about it. 
Let me read this passage from Philip Yancey's book, The Jesus I Never Knew. The early Christians were renowned within the Roman Empire for their support of the poor and suffering. The Christians, unlike their pagan neighbors, readily ransomed their friends from barbarian captors. And when plague hit, the Christians tended their sufferers, whereas the pagans abandoned the sick at the first symptoms. For the first few centuries, at least, the church took literally Christ's command to receive strangers, clothe the naked, feed the hungry, and visit those in prison. It is not enough to feel kindness in your heart. Kindness is only kindness if you do something about it. Second, you and I don't get to decide who is worthy of kindness and who isn't. Worthiness isn't the issue. For the longest time, I've told this before, for the longest time, I had a problem being kind or compassionate to rich people. Now, the irony, of course, is that I've told all my kids as they were growing up, you're rich, you live in a rich family, we're rich, we live in a rich neighborhood, you're rich, we're rich. But on the other hand, I've always believed that other people were rich because I travel in chamber circles where I've heard people refer to $500,000 as chump change. And I think to myself, what? What? Okay, so I've tended to believe internally that other people were rich people. And I've struggled being compassionate, being kind, showing kindness to rich people to rich people. But here's the thing. You and I don't get to decide who is worthy and who isn't. The expert in religious law believed that you only needed to help some people. And that's a mistake. Right now in the United States of America, we have two toxic things going on. The first toxic thing going on is that so many Americans have this attitude about a particular group of people. Serves them right Oh man, they're getting what's coming to them. They're evil. They don't deserve or they deserve. And that's the sentiment. That's the feeling. That is not neighborliness. That is not loving your neighbor. That's not kindness. And the other thing that's happening that's toxic all across America is that Americans are limiting kindness and being compassionate only to people who are just like them, because after all, they're decent people. So the people who vote like them, dress like them, think like them, go to church like them, or whatever it is that's on their list, there's another group of people, those people, and those people don't merit compassion. Those people don't merit kindness. Let me just run through a list of people for a moment. Is it easy for you to be compassionate and show kindness to all the young people who were protesting in cities last summer? You know, where things were on fire and stuff like that? Or do you think to yourself, mm, those people? Or what about the people who stormed the Capitol on January 6th? Do those, are those people not worthy of any compassion? Trumpers, anti-Trumpers, vaxxers, anti-vaxxers? Do you have a particular group of people that, in your opinion, are beyond redemption, beyond compassion? 
Third, please show kindness to your family and friends. Show kindness to your family and friends. Kindness starts at home. For those of you that are married, your husband, your wife, your wife, your husband need kindness from you. Don't bark at them. Don't withhold mercy. And for those of you that got brothers and sisters and you're still making your way growing up through life, let me tell you this right now. The amount and degree of kindness that you show your siblings now growing up will impact how they see you when they're adults. There's going to there's come a day when mom and dad aren't around and it's just you and your brothers and sisters. How they see you is going to be flavored and shaped by the kindness that you show them now. And then last, what seems small to you could very well be a turning point for someone else. Let me say that again. What seems small to you could be a turning point for someone else. You know, Generations Community Church has met in a lot of different places, a school, a clubhouse, a house, uh, uh, outside. Uh, we've met in a bank. We've met all kinds of places. But when we moved from the elementary school to the Lone Oak Golf Course Clubhouse that first year, something happened. Now, at the time, there was a restaurant that operated out of there, and there was a caterer who had two employees, a black man and a Jewish woman. Now, why would I describe them that way? Well, because of what happens next. One particular summer Saturday evening, they must have had an event that ran late. And so she left her car there. And I guess her boss, the caterer, had driven her home, dropped her off at home. And I guess in her mind, she was thinking she would pick her car up sometime Sunday afternoon. So we come in, the setup crew, that Sunday morning, and we're trucking into the Lone Oak parking lot. And I see this single car sitting in the parking lot. And I, I can see that it's got soap and shaving cream and stuff written on it. And I, my first thought was that, oh, oh, they had a wedding reception here last night. And for some reason, the bride and groom's car wouldn't start, couldn't move. Like, they had mechanical problems. Oh, my goodness, that poor couple. That poor couple. But as I drove in and I got closer and I saw what was actually written on the car, I was horrified. It was the worst kind of anti-Semitic stuff. I mean, we called the police, we called the caterer, and, and members of the setup team washed this woman's car and, and took everything off and removed it because we didn't want her to arrive and see this. Now, after teardown was done and, and the caterer and these people showed up, that act of kindness opened a door. He started telling stories about the church people who would come into that restaurant but who would refuse to allow him to serve them their food because of the color of his skin. And she also began to tell stories about the church people that would come in. And then with a tear, she said this, I thought 
all church people were the same. Right there in a moment, what seems small, washing somebody's car, ends up being a turning point for someone else. Who in your life right now is bleeding by the side of the road? And again, I want to say to you, given the year that we have had as a nation, as a people, as a world, I want to suggest to you that most of the people that you encounter are probably bleeding in some form by the side of the road. And they sure could use some compassion. And Jesus says to you, and Jesus says to me, go and do the same.